News Network. Rules for thee, but not for me. How about cash after cash of documents found locked in the garage next to the president's Corvette, the president who excoriated another man for having his documents in a locked room under the watchful eye of the archives and the Secret Service? But here's the question we really should be asking of this eco-zealot thou shalt not drill president. Is that an electric Corvette? Well, now that you've got perspective, this is TN. The Truth News Network. And truth is what we do. And the doer is Dan Newman. I hadn't thought about that of late, have you? How's that investigation by that special prosecutor or counsel, whatever the title is, going in that look-see about all of the mishandling of classified documents? Boxes of them, not dozens, tens of dozens of boxes of U.S. classified documents that were found to be all over the place in the possession of Joe Biden, the current president. Well, Donald Trump, FBI stormed Mar-a-Lago. Remember that? Early in the morning, they had uh, helicopters flying high. They actually had water territory around Mar-a-Lago, FBI boats to make sure Nobody got out. Guns drawn. Here we are months and months later. Of course, special counsel appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland to look into the wrongdoing of classified document misuse by this president. How's that going? It's only every other day, maybe every day, that we hear news slipping out about anything and everything to do with Donald Trump. And of course, yesterday, our Attorney General, he testified before Congress. Oh my gosh, he is a bastion of integrity and honesty and cooperation. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, he maintains there is no two-tier justice system in the United States. But you know what? I may have been born at night, but not last night. (laughs) We have a problem, Houston. (laughs) We have a leader that's piloting the capsule that doesn't even know what a capsule is or where it's headed, but by jingos, he's the head of the Department of Justice. When he could be, think about this one, folks. He could have been a United States Supreme Court justice if Merrick Garland uh, got the word through in time to Barack Obama what was going to happen and needed to happen to get him confirmed by the Senate. None of it clicked, thank God, and he's not on the court. But we have him for at least another year plus as our Attorney General unless he's impeached or he leaves office for whatever reason there is out there. He is without question feckless, and he is little more than a pawn for whoever it is that is running this administration. Good morning. What a way to start a show, right? Man, have we got a circus to bring to you today. You do not want to miss a minute of today's show. What are we going to do? We're not going to spend all day looking back at that uh, uh, committee hearing yesterday. Merrick Garland, Attorney General, appeared before the House Judiciary Committee, and he got grilled. Now, of course, that was only by Republicans. 
because Democrats, they were constantly telling him what a great attorney general he is, how great his policies are, and how he runs every department of the Department of Justice. You know, places like the CIA, the FBI, they're just all clicking along on eight cylinders. No issues, no problems. Everybody in America feels safer than Merrick Garland is the attorney general. We're going to get into that. But we've got a few other things that are very important also. And many times we get diverted from what's really supposed to be being examined because of all the noise that comes up with other stuff. And it's always purposely done. They know that news of the day is what captures the attention of the American people. So they purposely, with their legacy media lapdogs, they create diversions in news to get our attentions off the big, big, big things. The fact like Joe Biden arbitrarily legalized 472,000 illegal immigrants. He legalized them without having constitutional authority.
morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Before I forget about it, I want to remind you all tomorrow morning, Mike Johnson, congressman from the 4th Congressional District here in Northwest Louisiana, joins us at the front half of our first hour. For those of you on different time zones, that's between 9 and 9.30 Central. He will join us live. And you're going to hear from him just a little bit later in the show this morning because he, of course, is a key figure in the House Judiciary Committee. And they held that get-together with the Attorney General yesterday. Mike Johnson really got right up in the face of the Attorney General. He always does it in a very nice way, but asking and demanding hard questions and hard answers from the Attorney General. So we have that coming up. A lot of other news. One that I just teased you going into that song by Chicago I've been searching. I teased you with this. It really has happened. I almost spit out my false teeth when I heard about this. And I don't even have false teeth. Biden unilaterally has granted amnesty to hundreds of thousands of illegals. The Biden administration granted protections to hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans in the midst of a surge in illegal immigration at the southern border. It's not immigration, folks. They call it illegal immigration, they being the left media, and Americans have picked up on that, I guess, because it's easy to remember and say. They are not immigrants. Immigrants into the United States, there's only one way to get here. You have to come through the legal system laid out in constitutionally passed immigration laws that Joe Biden was part of crafting when he was in the U.S. Senate. But we're not supposed to remember that. We're supposed to call these people immigrants. But according to the law, immigration law, the term for them is this an illegal alien. But they can't be that cold. We can't talk about these great, wonderful people. They're just trying to get a better life. I understand that. But anybody that comes here is supposed to come here legally. And if they choose to not come here legally, they're here illegally. I'm tired of saying this. I'm tired of even needing to say it. I'm tired of our officials in Washington, D.C. thumbing their noses at the laws that are supposed to be the rules to run the nation for everybody to use and everybody to abide by. You don't abide by the laws passed by Congress? You're supposed to hold the consequences in your hand and be uh, uh, you've got to be held accountable for all of it. Not in this administration, and especially not this president. He's got a program, does Joe. And this program is going to allow a quarter of a million an existing temporary protection designation in addition to roughly, listen to this, 242,700 plus 472,000 Venezuelans. And we are told this morning, just minutes ago, we expect for them to be qualified for the new designation to receive work permits, stay here in the U.S. with no fear of removal. 
Now, this is coming out of Alejandro Mayorkas' office within the last hour. Venezuelans qualifying for the program must have arrived before July 31st. Now, not only are they breaking the law and doing it with impunity, they're now telling the illegals who are here illegally how you have to break the law. (laughs) Here's what Mayorka said, quote, Temporary protected status provides individuals already here in the U.S. with protection from removal when the conditions in their home country prevent their safe return. That is the situation that Venezuelans who arrived here on or before the 31st of July of this year find themselves in. We, he said, we. Listen to this. This is one man. He doesn't even answer to Congress. (laughs) He certainly wasn't elected. Quote, we are accordingly granting them the protection that the law provides. The law does not provide it. There are certain conditions that must be met, and Alejandro Mayorkas does not have the authority to determine when they have met those certain conditions. He said, however, it is critical that Venezuelans understand that those who have arrived here after July 31st, 2023 are not eligible for such protection and instead will be removed when they are found to not have a legal basis to stay. Yeah, Alejandro, just like you remove everybody before them that has come in here and did not have a legal basis to stay. Do you expect us to believe this fodder that you and Joe Biden have concocted? All the way back in January of 2021. Listen to this. You probably forgot this. I just took a page out of National Public Radio. Here's what they said on that day, January 21st, 2021. The newly inaugurated Biden administration wasted no time in taking two major steps to dismantle much-criticized Trump-era immigration policies in its first day in office. The Department of Homeland Security announced that starting Thursday, now this is in January of 2021, it would pause deportations for certain non-citizens in the United States for 100 days, and would stop new enrollments in the Migrant Protection Protocols Policy, also known as the Remain in Mexico Program. President Biden sends immigration bill to Congress as part of his commitment to modernize our immigration system. You see what happens? He knew Congress was not going to allow any of this stuff to happen. But somehow to make it seem smooth with the voters in America, we are told this new president, president of everybody on the planet, he wants to take arbitrary authority and forget about federal laws that were passed legally. Many of were passed that he voted on when he was in the U.S. Senate. And then September 30th, 
21. DHS Secretary told the world that the U.S. will no longer deport people solely because they are undocumented. Now, that's not why anybody is legally deported. They're deported because they're here illegally, according to the law. Mayorkas on that Thursday said immigration officers can no longer detain and deport people from the U.S. solely because they are undocumented. That's the sole reason to import them. Well, we got to wait till they, you know, commit a crime, a felony, kill somebody, break into somebody's office. Well, it didn't work in Texas over a two-year period, 600,000 felony crimes were committed by illegal aliens to Texans. Everything from the top first-degree murder down to breaking and entering. But that's okay. We want them to stay here. We don't want them to have to prove that they're here for the right reasons, the ones they tell us they are coming here for. That's your president, ladies and gentlemen. That's the guy that is single-handedly changing the structure of the United States of America that was created and approved by the American people, not a president, not any member of Congress, all way back 260 years ago. Or is it 40 years ago? I lose track of time and I'm hacked off this morning. Our children, I used to think it would be our grandchildren, but our children are losing this country faster than they can even initiate the changes out of the Biden administration. If you don't have laws, if you don't enforce laws, you're little more than a banana republic down in the Caribbean, Nigeria, war-torn nations in Africa and South America. You're no different. What makes them so horrible, hard to live in, can't get ahead, certainly can't get a good job, can't trust the government? Because they don't enforce the laws that their people authorized to do so pass. You don't have law, you don't enforce the law, you don't have a country. And one of the reasons is because people that are breaking the laws in the United States are not held accountable, and it starts all the way up, yeah, the White House. But he doesn't do law enforcement, even if he was committed to it. And he followed through on his oath of office to do just that. He wouldn't personally do it. He'd have somebody to do it. Of course, that's why Congress invented the Department of Justice so that on a federal level, the American people would know that the rule of law would be enforced in every tenet of the U.S. Constitution. And that, of course, falls on the Attorney General. This one we have here, the most feckless that I can think of ever among any Attorney Generals, is Merrick Garland. So he's on the hot seat. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to wait a bit. I want everybody that's going to log in to be here when we do this. I'm going to let you listen to just two, two little segments from two members of the House of Representatives 
that got into it yesterday with Merrick Garland. And I want you to listen to how the most powerful law enforcement man on the planet, how he responds. I use the term feckless too quickly on a lot of things. And maybe feckless isn't the right term to use for Merrick Garland. We'll see. And I'll let you decide for yourself. But there's something else that's really, really big going on. And tomorrow morning, when Mike Johnson joins us in our first hour, first half hour, I'm going to get into the information with him about this because he's critical in it. And what might that be, Dan? The U.S. fiscal year ends in 10 days, end of September every year. And the biggest requirement of the House of Representatives in the Constitution is that they, by statute, are required to put together and present a budget for the federal government for the next fiscal year. This House of Representatives hasn't done it. In fact, there are 12 sections in the budget bill regarding specific processes in our government that must be funded so that the government can continue to operate as it was structured constitutionally. 12 of those, not a single one, has been taken up by this House of Representatives. Not a single one, and we have 10 days. Well, of course, what always happens, the Democrats are holding their breath. Let's just pray those Republicans don't get their stuff together, and we'll just keep on spending money at the level we're spending now, and there won't be anything they can do about it. We'll just spend willy-nilly. Yeah, we're spending trillions of dollars, not billions of dollars, We're not spending it, but they are for anything and everything they want. Joe Biden writes checks to anybody and everybody on the globe without any authority to do it. Nobody's holding him accountable. I can't blame him. Can you? Early this morning, Maria Bartiromo, Fox News Business, had Andy Biggs, congressman from Arizona, on with her. And they discussed this. I want you to listen to what Biggs has to say. And the questions that you'll hear in the sound of Maria Bartiromo's voice as she's talking to Biggs. We're making good progress and we're going to win. And then Senate is going to tell what are they going to do and how they're going to fail the American people. Yeah, I think we've come up with a number on a uh, continued resolution for 30 days. And uh, I think that makes sense. We're going to pass legislation that curves our spending, secures our border, and puts America in a stronger position for the future. House Republicans reporting progress on spending negotiations yesterday. They're planning on voting on the Pentagon appropriations bill later today. After two of the five members who blocked the bill earlier this week have now changed their position, reportedly. Speaker McCarthy, who says he will keep Congress for a rare Saturday session this weekend, is also reportedly receiving support on a new framework for the continuing resolution. The bill now includes a top-line spending level of $1.471 trillion for the duration of the short-term funding measure. Joining me right now is Arizona Congress. Congressman Andy Biggs. He is a member of the House Judiciary Oversight Committees. Congressman, it's good to see you this morning. Can you uh, give us a status check? Is that correct? Do you feel that there's been progress? Well, you know, it's it's hard to say that there's been progress, Maria, when this thing has been sitting around for nine months and now they're going to say that they're going to solve uh, at least for 30 days by reducing down to $1.471 trillion dollars in spending, which will have basically no effect on any of the bureaucracies that are actually attacking the American people. That's that's really a problem for me. 
because and this notion that you're going to solve the border problem with sticking H.R. 2 into this, which is the Border Security Act, you're going to send that over to the Senate. You know nothing will happen, and you know that this is a lawless administration. So in instead of putting in leverage points against this administration to try to code, uh, goad them into enforcing the law, while we have a massive crisis on the border, literally daily, while you and I are talking, thousands of people are pouring across our border, um, to say that we're, we're going to solve the border is just a misnomer and misdirection, in my opinion. Okay, so it sounds like you're a no on this. Yeah, I'm not pleased with it at all. Yeah, I, I, I think that I, I think that they're trying to get something, but the reality is, uh, until you get the 12 bills that you promised, we've got we've got bills, Maria, two bills that haven't even been marked up in committee on the appropriations docket of 12, 12 bills, and and to say that we're going to keep it at 1471, we we don't know where these where these cuts are coming in, we don't know what the policies are going to be is irresponsible. I mean, is there any expectation that we will see a cut in spending or what you're looking at now doesn't even really cut much? Yeah, that's my point. I, 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 if, if we were all on the same page, we'd be saying, look, we're spending a trillion dollars a year in interest alone. Um, we're adding uh, $2 trillion uh, in by spending more than we have every year, plus the interest, you got three. The point is, we have got to, at what point are we going to stand up and say no yeah. we're, we're not going to keep funding the government that's that's attacking the american people right that's what we have to say and and we're going to have to do the pain sooner or later um and then it's always i've been here long enough to i've heard five-year plans ten-year plans and it none of this ever gets changed yeah and that's so we're on the same path so remain on the same path what does the government shutdown get you it sounds like we are going to see a shutdown uh, how how significant is that uh, and and what does that get you well, for one thing, it, it actually would raise, first of all, a shutdown is, is a misnomer, too, because the vast majority of government programs continue on. Anybody that's furloughed, for instance, they get their money back. Okay. So, so you, you don't get that benefit. But what you do get is you, is you get a chance to actually get to the 12 bills that you're supposed to have done by now, that you've supposedly been working on for nine, nine months. And you get to say, look, we're going to add policy into that stuff. And we're going to actually uh, stop the trajectory of spending ourselves right off the cliff. And this government, by the way, Maria, is actually attacking the American people. You saw it yesterday in the Merrick Garland hearing. You're seeing it in the in the in the impeachment inquiry. You see it in the border. You see it in energy policy. You see it in uh, this the DOD bill that they got, that they have continues to fund Ukraine. There's Ukraine money for Ukraine in that yeah. bill. It just it just continues on. It just continues on. The insanity just keeps rolling all along. Nothing in the mix to change a thing. So we got 435 members of the House of Representatives, of which 218, 216, 218 are Republicans, and they can't get agreement? Oh, we're only going to spend an additional $1.47 trillion between now and the end of this thing. That's all? And we're already paying, without touching any of the principle of what is owed, we're paying a trillion dollars in every year in interest alone on the government's debt? 
Nobody's hit the panic button. It's like nobody cares. It's like, let's just keep on spending. And by the time we get out of office, we'll still have enough money to keep things kind of rolling around. Nobody's going to point at us, so we'll just keep spending. And if it breaks apart, if there's some major catastrophe, it's not going to happen until after we've gotten all of our stuff out of the pot and we've moved on. I mean, it really seems like that's the mentality on Capitol Hill right now. I can't imagine what our forefathers would think if they woke up today and just began to look at what our government is and how it's structured compared to the way it was founded. Can you imagine, could you see George Washington ever thumbing his nose at immigration law like Joe Biden has? Forget about the law that says we welcome a million people here from other countries every year legally. Do you know that? A million a year. If you add all of the uh, the legal immigrants that go into every other country on the planet every year, every one, there's, what, 191, 92 other? All those countries add together the illegal the legal immigrants that they bring into their countries that go through their legal process and they get citizenship, all of those total is less than what the United States does every year legally, one million. We let a million in, Joe Biden's letting in another four or five million, we think, we don't know because they don't even take care of determining who's coming in, how many, where they're going, and what's in their rearview mirror that they are bringing with them? We hear all the horror stories. Fentanyl destroying people's lives, killing our teenagers. That's all coming in across the southern border with these illegals. All kinds of diseases. They don't want to talk about that because it would make them look bad. But it's happening. And then this president waves a magic wand and more than half a million illegals, he says, are now going to be illegals. Why? Because he says so. And by the way, they're taking jobs from Americans, half a million. And these are just Venezuelans. That's only one little segment. I'm going to have to be very careful when I talk to Congressman Johnson in the morning. He's a good personal friend as well as my congressman, and he's doing as best as he possibly can do as one person. And Andy Biggs, congressman from Arizona, you heard him just moments ago with Maria. They're all in a quandary. They can't get anything done themselves. So what's it going to take? Now, I'm going to say something, and I want you to understand this. This show is monitored. Right now, we're pretty certain that every conservative news show in America is somehow monitored by elements in our government. But I'm still going to say this. I'm, I have no interest in any kind of military operation, pushback militarily, any kind of civil unrest and war and violence. I, I'm, not, I'm not for going down that road under any conditions. But I look back at what happened in our early days in the United States of America. And Americans back then, they took control of this country's government 
before this kind of crap got loose or they were headed down the same road as are we. We have no legal structure. We have no criminal a criminal law that is being enforced at every level of our government. People are getting slaughtered every day. Our kids, they're getting all messed up in school by teachers that are actually out there grooming our kids to become trans. And when I say our kids, I'm talking about five-year-old, six-years-old. There's no end to the horror show that is playing out on the shores of the United States today. And we have nobody in the White House, nobody in his administration, certainly not, not the Attorney General, that is enforcing the law. If they would only do that, almost all of this stuff would be gone because people wouldn't want to keep coming. Let me ask you a question. Why Why would Joe Biden, why would Merrick Garland, why would Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, why would all these people that each took oaths of office regarding law enforcement, U.S. law, why would they just ignore it? They have to have a purpose. And it's not because of their righteousness. It's not because of their goodness. It has nothing to do with that. Because if they were really who they purport to be, they would first be protecting the people that are already here, that are U.S. citizens. And they try to tell us. Nancy Pelosi was the chief among these when she was Speaker of the House. Try to demean us. You don't care for other people. You just want to you want to take care of yourself. You want to forget about those other people and w- what they're going through. No, that's not the truth. You can't say that about the United States of America or Americans. We're the by far biggest giving nation in world history. We give more money to charity, to missions, to helping other people around the world than the rest of the world combined. So don't give me that poppycock. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for self-enrichment, dollars and cents. You buy stock in major companies that are out there foaming at the mouth to hire these illegals that are coming in here. Keep them illegal. Don't let them become citizens, but just let them take a job. We can pay them less our benefits that we have to give American workers. We can do away with a bunch of that. And all that profit goes to the bottom line. And if you're a stockholder in our company, you're going to get a big div again because you refuse to honor your oath of office and to make those that are in government working for you, you refuse to make them be accountable for not enforcing the laws. The love of money is the root of all evil. You are watching it as the Bible portrayed it. It's all around you right now. And I can't tell you what to do. I have no idea what can make this work and fix it. I'm sorry for that. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry, I'm late. 
sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like and finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh, download rage shadow legends play for free welcome to mcdonald's may i take your order hi can i get a can i get a get in the mcdonald's Ooh, can i get a can i get a yeah can i get a Can I get a... 10-piece uh, chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... So the left has the squad. There isn't enough beer to hold to watch what happens next. You are the army of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Members of the squad in Congress, they are little more than plebes. They're out there, self-enrichment. They're spending millions of dollars of their own campaign funds for various things that probably, if they're investigated, will not be found to be legal. And there would be a lot of personal liability there. But who's going to hold each other accountable up there? Are you in a bad mood today, Dan? No, I'm not. I'm frustrated, though. I'm very frustrated. I can't stand it when we have people that give promises about very, very critical things to the lives of Americans and then just walk away from it. They never had any intention to enforce the things that they promised they would do. Everybody wonders, how do people today still put Donald Trump at the top of the Republican nominating process? He's been indicted on multiple, I mean, how many counts is it? Over a hundred counts? He's an evil guy. How could Americans support Donald Trump at this particular point? You know why? Americans are waking up. They're looking at life today compared to what it was when Trump was president. They're looking at the campaign going on right now, and they compare it with the campaigning that went on in 2020 and what went on in 2018 and what went on in 2016. They look at all the politicians getting up there, getting tens of millions, even billions of dollars of campaign contributions, and they get up there and they promise the moon. If you elect me, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. 
And then when they get elected, it's kind of like, <laughs> you really think I meant that? No way. And then Donald Trump comes up. They look at his life. They look at what he's done. Yeah, they may not like his messaging, his personality, but he's been very successful in business, so he's up there saying pretty much the same thing all the politicians have told us every election cycle. So what could it cost us? Let's give him a shot. We gave him a shot, and lo and behold, or as Joe Biden said about blackmailing the Ukrainian people, bragging about it, son of a bee. He did what he said he was going to do for us, the American people. And Americans are watching not just what we are told is going on, but we're watching it happen. And we're smart enough. We're not stupid. We're not sheep out there. That's not who we are. We are concerned about everything that's happening in and with our government and everything that's not happening within and with our government that should be. We get it. We get you, politicians. We understand who you are. Every time you open your mouth, you confirm the evil, the greed, the hunger and thirst for power. We understand all of that about you. We don't need that anymore. We saw, we got a taste of it. You hated it because... He came here and started the destruction of what you call democracy. No, he started the destruction of the autocracy that Democrats had pushed and pushed and pushed and shoved it into our lives. Autocracy meaning a small group of people take over total control of a nation. And they think we're so stupid that when they point at Donald Trump and say, he wants to be an autocrat, he wants to be the president of the world, he wants to be the permanent president of the United States, he's going to destroy your democracy when the exact opposite is true. Here's what we're going to do from the Merrick Garland hearings yesterday and some of what I've just raved about. You're going to hear a little bit of it, just a few snippets. I told you yesterday, I recorded the entire hearing. I didn't watch it all. I couldn't. I was busy yesterday. The first couple of hours, I was with you on this show, and then we had things going on. I dropped in every once in a while and then uh, had an engagement last night, but in between, I watched little snippets, and I pulled off two in total, and we're going to let you hear those. First, no, i tell you what, I'm not going to do it. I, I was going to do a wrap-up, the consensus of everything rolled into one, but I don't want to go there first. Depends on time and the show today. But I want you to listen to these two. The first one, I'll just go ahead and, and do Mike Johnson. Again, if you just joined us, Mike Johnson will be here with, live with us in the morning about 9.10 maybe a quarter after, and we'll have him for 20 or 30 minutes as usual. And we'll be able to talk to him more about this. But Mike Johnson, congressman from the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana, he's a smart guy, and he's right on about some politics. 
He's dead on with it. I know privately from our relationship, professionally and privately, that he doesn't like how this is all coming out. And he feels bad about it. And he's only one person in 435. And then you have 100 on the other side of the Capitol in the U.S. Senate. So it's a tough road to go down and hoe. It's hard to get a job done when you have so many hurdles. But the first step is to find out or try to find out exactly what's going on, identify the wrongdoing, then identify the wrongdoers, and make plans to straighten it out. Here's Mike. The rule of law does distinguish our country, but you have not upheld that. You have allowed the rule of law to erode. And that's why 65% of the people in this country have no faith in the Department of Justice under your leadership. They don't trust it. They don't trust you. The reason is because they're witnessing every day a politicized Justice Department in a two-tiered system of justice. For example, they see the DOJ, of course, aggressively prosecuting President Biden's chief political rival, Mr. Trump, while at the same time, they see slow walking and special treatment given to the president's son. That's just a fact that everybody can see with their own two eyes. I want to focus on that investigation of the Biden family. We have many important questions for you today about that. Let me, let me just get right to the chase. Has anyone from the White House provided direction at any time to you personally or to any senior officials at the DOJ regarding how the Hunter Biden investigation was to be carried out? No. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh, I, don't re- I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. Okay, did you ever... I have kept that promise. All right. Have you had personal contact with anybody at the Baltimore field office on the Hunter Biden matter? No. On July 10, 2023, U.S. Attorney David Weiss told Senator Lindsey Graham, quote, I had discussions with departmental officials regarding potential appointment under 28 U.S.C. uh, Section 515, which would have allowed me to file charges in a district outside my own without the partnership of the local U.S. attorney, end quote. With whom did Mr. Weiss have those discussions? I'm not going to get into the internal deliberations of the department. Um, Oh, but you must, sir. This is important for us. We have oversight responsibility over your department, and we need these answers. It's appropriate and necessary for Mr. Weiss to have conversations with the department. I made clear that if he wanted to bring a case in any jurisdiction, he would be able to do that. The way you do that is to get an order signed by the Attorney General called a 515 order. I promised he would be able to do that, and he in his letters made clear he understood he would be able to do that. Okay. Can you tell us about any briefings or discussions that you personally have had with Mr. Weiss regarding any and all federal investigations of Hunter Biden? I'm going to say again. I promised the Senate that I would not interfere with Mr. Weiss. So you have not, I'm just, under oath today, your testimony is, you have not had any discussions with Mr. Weiss about this matter? Under oath, my testimony today is that I promised that the, uh, the Senate I would not um, intrude in his investigation. I do not intend to discuss the liber- internal Justice Department uh, deliberations, whether or not I had them. Oh, okay. So your, your testimony today is you're not going to tell us whether you've had discussions with Mr. Weiss. My testimony today is I told the committee that I would not interfere. 
I made clear that Mr. Weiss would have the authority to bring cases that he thought were appropriate. Okay. Mr. Weiss's All right. letter. Okay, let me stop you. For, for a second time, sir. Are you aware that FBI officials have come before this committee and they have stated that there was a cumbersome bureaucratic process that Mr. Weiss had to go through to bring charges in another judicial district? You know that? I'm not aware, but that's not true. There's nothing cumbersome about the process. So those All whistleblowers are to lying to us under oath? They're, those whistleblowers are lying? I didn't that say that. Their, their description of the process cumbersome is an opinion. It's not a fact question. All I have to do is okay. sign a right. section. Let me get to the fact. Mr. Weiss has been the lead prosecutor on the Hunter Biden case since 2018, correct? I'm sorry? Mr. Weiss has been the lead prosecutor on the Hunter Biden case since 2018. Now, here's the question. He's been the lead the, prosecutor since he was appointed by President Trump. Okay. Why? Let me ask you. Why has the Justice Department dragged this investigation out for so long? Does it really take years to determine if Hunter Biden lied on a federal form related to purchasing a firearm? Mr. Weiss was a long-time career prosecutor. President Trump appointed him as the You're not answering the question. Is that standard procedure? Should it take that long to make such a simple determination? I'm answering the question. Mm -hmm. Give me an opportunity to do so. Okay. He was charged uh, with that investigation under the previous administration. He's continued. He knows how to conduct investigations, and I have not intruded or attempted to evaluate that because I, that was the promise I made to the Senate. The whistleblowers uh, gave us testimony about serious misconduct at the Justice Department in regards to the preferential treatment afforded Hunter Biden. Has your office requested an investigation into that? Uh, there are well-known processes for how whistleblowers make their claims. I am a strong proponent of whistleblowers and a strong defender. We have an Inspector General's office. We have an Office of Professional Responsibility. That is the way in which complaints from whistleblowers should be and are appropriately handled. I'm out of time. I yield back. Gentlemen, yields back. The chair recognizes. That was Mike Johnson questioning Mary Garland yesterday. And as you heard, the attorney general is really not Johnny on the spot when it comes to answering. First of all, he's not very eloquent. And what shocked me was listening to him in the past as the attorney general and thinking of him being on the United States Supreme Court, which is where he would prefer to be. And uh, if Donald Trump hadn't been elected president, he would be on the court now. Golly, there are a couple of reasons why I'm glad that didn't happen. But you just heard him circle all around. He never comes straight out and answers anything. Now, I played Mike because Mike was one of the firmer but the nicest people that asked him questions yesterday. Before we go to the next Republican, and the only, I've, I'm only going to have one more listen for you to listen to one more Q and A with the Attorney General yesterday. But let me point something out. Every time a Republican gets to ask questions, right after that, a Democrat does on the other side of the aisle. I was nauseated watching the very few Democrats question the Attorney General. Let me give you an example. This is what it sounded like. You heard Mike Johnson. Uh, let's talk about Representative Jayapal from Washington. I'm going to kind of paraphrase what I heard from her. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General, for being here. You make us feel so safe in America. Please forgive these 
people on the other side of the aisle for asking you unfair questions and beating you up because you don't answer quick enough. Please understand they don't know what they're doing. They're trying to find ways to support that evil guy that took us down the road towards hell and away from democracy, the former president. She wouldn't even mention his name. She didn't say all of that. But that was the messaging that was used over and over and over again by Democrats. I never heard a single good question asked of Merrick Garland. It was all fluff. It was an opportunity for him to catch his breath because they knew coming down the pike again is another Republican. And so one came down the pike, Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. The gentleman floor is recognized five minutes. I guess I'm just wondering, Mr. Attorney General, has anyone at the department told President Biden to knock it off with Hunter? I mean, you guys are charging Hunter Biden on some crimes, investigating him on, on others. You've got the president bringing Hunter Biden around to state dinners. Has anyone told him to knock it off? Our job in the Justice Department is to pursue our cases without reference uh, to what's happening in the outside world. You, just that, yes or no, have you done that? That is what we do. So it's a no? No one that I know of has spoken to the White House about the Hunter Biden case. I'm wondering that. Of course not. Okay, I got it, I got it. So Hunter Biden is selling art to pay for his $15,000 a month rent in Malibu. How can you guarantee that the people buying that art aren't doing so to gain favor with the president? The job of the Justice Department is to investigate criminal allegations. You have information. Are you investigating this? I mean, someone who bought Hunter Biden's art ended up with a prestigious appointment to a federal position. Doesn't it look weird that he's, making, he's become this immediate success in the art world as his dad is president of the United States? Isn't that odd? I'm not going to comment about any specific... Not going to comment, not going to investigate. So right. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then-Vice President Biden. Are you confident he has stopped doing that? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then-Vice President Biden. Are yes. you confident he has stopped? I'm going to say again that all these matters are within the purview of Mr. Weiss... I have not interfered with them, and yeah, I do not. Yeah, but if you were confident that he had stopped, you could And I do not intend to interfere with him. I want to, so it was a lot of Chinese money that was working its way through these shell companies into the accounts of the Biden family. So the China initiative was set up during the Trump administration at the Department of Justice to go after the malign influence of, of the Chinese Communist Party. And the Biden Justice Department dissolved the China initiative. So I guess I'm wondering, does the department have any documents uh, that would detail the basis for why you got rid of the China initiative that President Trump had set up? The Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division gave a long speech which explained that. He has testified before Congress several times. We'd be happy to provide you with What's the, the trans- basis? Just tell us all now. What, why, why was the China initiative dissolved? What, uh, uh, the, what the Assistant Attorney General said was that we face attacks from four nation states, North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran, and that we need to focus our attention on the broad range of these attacks. Sometimes we but, don't but, but know. Wait a second. You don't, are you saying that North Korea has the same malign influence risk to the United States as the Chinese Communist Party? 
are you, are you trying to represent there's some parity there? Because here's what it looks like. It looks like the Chinese gave all this money to the Bidens, and then you guys came in and got rid of the China initiative, and it was successful. Like, I, I saw one rationale that you guys got rid of the China initiative because it was racial profiling. But, but one of the people you convicted was a guy named Charles Lieber, who was a Harvard professor taking $50,000 a month to do China's bidding and give them whatever research was being done. Are, are you aware of the millions of dollars that moved through Rob Walker's shell companies from Chinese Communist Party entities into Biden family bank accounts? Are you aware of that? There were a lot of questions that you just asked. Let me start with the first one about North Korea. North Korea is a dangerous actor, both kinetically and with respect to cyber. But not on par with China. I'm on I'm the not, armed services I'm not committee, in the Mr. Attorney right General. Now it's, okay, it's, it makes you, you look unserious to suggest may that. May I answer your question or not? Answer the question about whether or not you know about all the millions of dollars that so moved you don't to want Rob me Walker's to answer into. about North Korea. I already know the answer, and so does everyone. They're not the same risk as China. So let's get on to serious questions and serious answers. Do you know about the money that moved through Rob Walker's shell companies, yes or no? As I have said repeatedly, I have left ma these matters to Mr. Weiss. I've not Blissfully intruded, ignorant. I've not interfered, I've not tried to find out it's what like he knows. It's like you're looking the other way on purpose it's because everybody knows this stuff's happening. And you know what, people don't pay bribes to not get something in return. Right? We, the, the China initiative resulted in the convictions of a Harvard professor, of someone at Monsanto. So we were working against the Chinese. They paid the Bidens. And now, we're, now you're sitting here telling me that I'm, North Korea is the big threat. I'm I got to get to this one thing on January well, 6th. I, I, so did the FBI, did the FBI lose count of the number of paid informants on January 6th? Let me did answer you? your question about China. I China want you to answer this question. I only get five minutes. You've already you, sort of, I think, screwed the pooch on China. So January 6th, did you lose count of the number of federal assets? Did you lose count and order an audit? Gentlemen, time has expired. I, I get an answer to the question of did, he, did they lose count? Well, let him answer the question. The time has expired. The, the Attorney General can respond. China is the most aggressive, most dangerous Mr. adversary Mr. Attorney General, that the United I think States the faces, and we are doing everything within our power to rebut that, to stop that, to prevent their invasions, both kinetic, both um, and through cyberspace, and we will continue. If, you, if to do someone that. gave that answer in your courtroom when you were a judge, you would tell them they were being non-responsive, and you would direct them to answer the question. Point of order, Your Honor. Time is adjuring the witness. Point of order, please. Time is expired. I, I got it. I just, I was, I was, I was, I was. I was you like Your Honor? You want to stick with that? Yeah, I, I was getting okay. laughed at you call me your honor. I Point of order either way. Okay, I understand that too. All right. But the gentleman asked his question before his time expired. The attorney general did not respond to the gentleman's question. I was hoping he would respond to the question about the confidential human sources on January 6th. He didn't respond to that. I'm sure we're going to get, uh, uh, we're gonna uh, get uh, an answer uh, to that uh, later. Of, of course, now, Mr. Chairman. There, now were, there were eight the questions before that that he was not given a chance to answer. Understand, so but I, the witness might have thought. But the witness doesn't, Mr. Chairman. Point of order: the witness does not control the hang time. On, hang on, exactly right. Members control the time. If they want to switch their question and focus on one more question that they'd like an answer to, I want to give the witness a chance to respond to that final question that Mr. Gates asked. He didn't respond to it. Someone else is going to ask it. I'm sure. We now recognize the gentleman from Tennessee for five minutes. So there you go. If you don't ever listen, you don't have a chance to listen to these kind of especially contentious hearings, like everybody knew and expected this one would be, and it surely turned out to be exactly that. What you just saw and heard, it was every bit prepared and planned that way. Merrick Garland is schooled 
Every witness that comes before a congressional committee is schooled by a bunch of experts. They go through and say, you're probably going to hear these questions. And here are the answers you're supposed to give. And if you're a Democrat, especially right now with all of the fire in the air against Democrats because they're being busted again and again and again for the wrongdoing, the method to handle these questions is just to answer with long responses that don't go right to the hardcore of the question asked. It's to hide. It's certainly not to give the facts and the truth. And in Gates's questions, you saw exactly that from Eric Garland. He has been taught and told, you make yourself look like you're being attacked in every one of these situations, and the American people will feel sorry for you. And if and when that happens, you're going to be the victor. The Democrat Party is going to win. And we've got an election coming up. And so we have to make them look evil and bad, like we've been doing against Donald Trump with all of these indictments. We've got to make them look bad, because if we lose power in Congress, the Democrat Party is going to go away. Everything that's happening today in the Democrat Party, everything from illegal immigration, avoiding the rule of law, deflecting, hiding from answering questions asked in these committee hearings. It's all planned, and it's to do one thing, maintain the power and increase the power in the political system for the Democrat Party, who want to have a permanent majority in the House and in the Senate so they can just do any of the autocratic matters that they want to do. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. For the sake of time, I was going to do a wrap-up and 
kind of give you a synopsis of all of the big Q&A that happened yesterday in that hearing, but it would take most of the second hour, and we're already five minutes into hour number two of the show. I don't want to wear you out. Let me just give you a couple of little insights. Thomas Massey, Republican congressman from Kentucky, after this was over yesterday, he said Republicans didn't buy Garland's claim that he couldn't recall things during that hearing. Garland testified, and uh, Republicans criticized him on multiple issues, including the Hunter Biden investigation, and this one we hadn't touched yet, the targeting of traditional Catholics. The FBI and the DOJ have faced accusations that they become politicized in cases involving all types of pro-life advocates and parents who are protesting at school board meetings and are involved in censoring following reports that are based on documents released to journalist Matt Taibbi by Elon Musk. You remember those? They were busted. The Department of Justice was busted on all those things, including Merrick Garland. It's long-standing FBI policy not to comment on ongoing investigation. That's Massey, and he's talking to Laura Ingram on Fox News last night. Well, the job is investigating, so they're basically saying no comment on anything and everything. Today, he had just forgotten everything. He didn't know. He wasn't there. He couldn't remember. Garland announced the appointment of U.S. Attorney David Weiss as special counsel a month ago, August 11th, to investigate allegations surrounding Hunter Biden. Now remember, Weiss had been the federal prosecutor who had been investigating Hunter Biden for five years, already five years, and here's what he was investigating Hunter for. Problems on the federal gun applications, lies, and committed felonies in the case of those uh, requests to get a legal permit to own a gun. And the only other thing he was investigating was tax cheating. And it was tax cheating on the money that Hunter got when he served on the board of directors of Burisma Holdings. Those two things, five years, Weiss did nothing, got nothing done. But guess what happened during those five years? They ran out of time to prosecute for the tax cheating on $2 million that Hunter Biden never paid income tax on. You think there was a little push and shove there for that? And then for this same prosecutor, David Weiss, who didn't do anything that he was supposed to do in the five years of investigating, all of a sudden Garland decides to name him the special counsel to look into Hunter Biden wrongdoing. You just can't make this up. Massey said, we didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. But one of the things that came out of the hearing today, he said, is there is a dual justice system here. Massey also hit back at Garland over complaints about threats, which he claimed were caused by criticism of specific prosecutors and FBI agents. When he talked about the threats and tried to get some sympathy, we all looked at each other on the dais, and we were like, wait, we get threats every day as members of Congress, Massey said. And that's just one little snippet. We could stay here all day. In fact, what I was going to do, I've got a summary 
of all of the big things that came out of the testimony, but if I if I gave that to you, it would probably take almost, if not all of, most of this hour to do it, so I won't. Let me tell you what I'll do. When we get through on the air today, I'll post it. It'll say at the top, summation of the contents of the September 20th Judiciary Committee hearing with Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I'll just post it there for you so you can go look at it. It's got all the answers. But let's move on. We got some really other important things we need to talk about. You know, Joe Biden was in New York for four days. I guess maybe he spoke one time at the United Nations. But maybe he needed the other three days, one to get ready and one to vacay. You know, take a day off after that hard work. But he did some very um, strange things. A speech before the United Nations offered President Joe Biden to reaffirm selling out the United States in furtherance of globalism as the largest single country donor all at the taxpayer's expense. So what is he talking about? We fund the United Nations. Nobody pays anywhere near the money that we do to the U.N., So he spoke Tuesday before the U.N. General Assembly. He continued to promote the America last policies, those are his, on the world stage as he fell in lockstep with the doomsaying gathering on climate alarmism, along with re-upping a blank check commitment to the 51st of Ukraine, the unofficial 51st of Ukraine, matching the same green agenda talking points of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, Biden promised billions in aid to be sent around the world while continuing to neglect who? The American people and our domestic crises. And as we work together to recover from global shocks, the United States will also continue to be the largest single community donor country donor of humanitarian assistance at this moment of unparalleled need in the world, he affirmed. Real numbers. The U.S. has already donated more than $12.3 billion in humanitarian aid in 2022, with the next nearest donor being Germany at just over $3 billion. Those numbers did not take into consideration the tens of billions contributed to the defense of Ukrainians in the Russia war, as Biden also promised more spending on that front. In support of turning out the pockets of America to the world, which is what he's doing, the president painted a picture of climate catastrophe as he connected disparate events to one cause that required nothing less than fealty to the climate cult. We see it everywhere. Record-breaking heat waves in the United States and China. Wildfires ravaging North America and Southern Europe. A fifth year of drought in the Horn of Africa. Tragic, tragic flooding in Libya. My heart goes out to the people of Libya. It's killed thousands, thousands of people, he said. Together, these snapshots show an urgent story of what awaits us if we fail to reduce our dependence on that evil fossil fuel and begin to climate-proof the world, which we can't do, no matter how hard we try and how much money Joe tries to throw at it. 
So when he finished all of this, he wasn't through being Joe Biden. What does that mean? He seemingly wandered off the stage at the United Nations without shaking hands with Brazil's Lula at the end of a joint speech. The two were speaking together, and Joe just walked off, didn't even turn around and acknowledge Brazil's leader. Louis Lula is 77, looked visibly irritated after the two shared a stage to talk about their initiative to improve workers' rights in both countries. But their diplomatic meeting got off to a labored start when Biden, who's three years older, 80, shuffled into a seven-foot Brazilian flag, leaving it teetering as he approached the podium. (laughs) You never get a chance, a second chance to make a first impression. He almost fell with that flag on top of him. The president made a rambling speech about his economic vision to rebuild our economy from the middle out and the bottom up, which nobody's ever explained to me. How do you build an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down, while Lula watched on from his right flank? Meanwhile, during Lula's speech, Biden fumbled with his headset, which he was using to hear a translated version of Lula's speech. Can you hear me, President Biden? This is an historical moment for Brazil and for the U.S., Lula said at the start of the speech. Biden, President Biden, can you hear me? Lula asked again, appearing to lose patience as Biden grunted in response. You can't? He asked, turning to Biden. Yes, good. Finally. (laughs) Biden continued to look confused as he grappled with the headset while Lula went on with his speech. One point, Biden dropped his earpiece and raised his eyebrows in frustration. So International Labor Organization Director General Gilbert Hungbu took to the podium after the two world leaders. Biden stooped to slowly grab a folder from the ground. Hunbo shook hands with Biden and Lula in turn at the close of his speech, but Biden appeared to leave Lula hanging, awkwardly saluting the audience before he shuffled off stage. He appeared to be torn between giving a thumbs up of a salute and maybe a sloppy gesture combined both of those at the same time. (laughs) As Biden turned his back on the Brazilian president, Lula looked annoyed, made a swiping gesture with his arm. They departed awkwardly from opposite sides. Throughout the three speeches, which went on for about 15 minutes, they shared several more exchanges. As Biden finished his speech, stepped down from the podium, Lula patted him on the shoulder before taking to the mic himself. At the end of the Brazilian leader's speech, Biden shouted, good job, and Lula shook hands with him and Hungbo. The two largest democracies in the Western Hemisphere standing up for human rights around the world in the hemisphere. That includes workers' rights, Biden said. Let me be clear, whether it's the auto workers' union or any other union worker, Record corporate profits should mean record contracts for union workers. In America, I'm proud that my administration is characterized as the most pro-union administration in American history. To applause from the audience, he added, no, I really meant it. In other words, applaud louder. Of course, he didn't bother to tell anybody the UAW union, which is the larger, largest manufacturing union representative 
in the United States. They haven't endorsed Biden. <laughs> so things aren't real cool between the UAW and America's favorite pro-union administration in history. This all came on the sixth day of that strike by 12,700 UAW members. They're picketing Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, Chrysler's parent, Stellantis, who are demanding better pay and better benefits. Biden said the U.S.-Brazil Partnership for Workers' Rights will start as a bilateral initiative, but that other nations and organizations were welcome to join. Y'all come on in. Don't worry about paying. Hey, we got the tab. I'm going to pick it up just like I do when I go to a restaurant. So about the union stuff going on, more auto workers are set to go on strike against top manufacturers if they don't get a deal done by noon tomorrow. The UAW are currently engaging in a targeted strike at just three plants. They didn't take them on, all of them on. Their negotiations with the big three automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Atlantis, avoiding a total strike of all 146,000 of the unionized workers after the parties failed to get a deal for new contracts on the 14th of this month. Sean Fain, who's president of UAW, announced that more members at different plants would join the strike if the union and automakers don't make serious progress on new contracts by noon tomorrow. I've been clear with the big three every step of the way, Fain said, and I'm going to be crystal clear again right now. If we don't make serious progress by noon on Friday, more locals will be called out to stand up and join the strike. That will mark more than a week since our first members walked out, and that will mark more than a week of the big three failing to make progress in negotiations toward reaching a deal that does right by our members. I'm not going to go through with the details on that, If you want to know it, you can look it up. It's everywhere. Automakers, employees, make tons of money right now, and their benefits are out the wazoo. UAW is looking for a long-term contract, which gives them massive immediate raises, almost unthinkable additional benefits, and then they go up through the life of this new union contract. So it's going to cost everybody, these automakers, billions of dollars additionally. Who's going to pay it for that? Who's going to pay those additions? If you buy a car, that's where it goes. Big corporations don't pay taxes. When stuff like this happens to them, they just raise the price on their goods that they're selling. In case of somebody that is a service company, they just raise the prices on the services they sell. It won't be different here. And Joe Biden obviously doesn't care. Norfolk Southern, you remember that name? Norfolk Southern, that's the name of the company that owned the train that blew East Palestine, Ohio, pretty much apart. Well, Norfolk Southern is going to compensate homeowners there for property value reduction following that train derailment February 3rd. Nearly 2,000 of residents at East Palestine were ordered to evacuate the town 
before workers could conduct a controlled burn on February 6th that released hazardous chemicals into the air. Those within what they call the defined program area who have sold their home since the derailment have their home on the market or will put their home on the market will be eligible for the program in which the company will pay the difference between the market value and the actual sale price. That's according to a company press release. This is another step in fulfilling our promise to East Palestine to make it right. Norfolk Southern is steadfast in keeping our commitments, including protecting the home values of the community. That's Alan Shaw, President and CEO of Norfolk Southern. At least they are finally coming forward and doing something positive for those people in Ohio. Of course, President Biden, when he was there, he made sure he walked around town and shook every citizen of East Palestine's hand. Wait a minute. Oh, that wasn't Joe Biden. That was the president of Norfolk Southern. Joe Biden didn't go. Joe Biden hasn't been there yet. He said last week, this was his excuse. <laughs> now this is March, April, May, June, July, August, September. This is seven months later. He was asked if he was going to Norfolk Southern to meet with the people there last week. This is before he went to uh, uh, he went to the Asia area, went to Vietnam, but he also went over there for the G7 summit. His response to, will you go to East Palestine, Joe said, no, and I was going to go this week, but I've got to go around the world. <laughs> Those were his words. Oh, my gosh. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And then we hear about something stupid that John Kerry has done or is doing. He's officially the Biden administration climate envoy, John Kerry. He, Kerry, and a top Chinese Communist Party official are going to attend a special climate summit spearheaded by failed Democrat presidential candidate, and left-wing mega-donor Michael Bloomberg. Now, what's this all about? It's the first of its kind. It's a confab that will be hosted by Bloomberg Philanthropies, and they're doing it in concert with the UN, and will take place at the COP28 conference in Dubai later this year. Hundreds of public officials, including governors, mayors, World Bank officials, and business tycoons, are expected to attend the event co-chaired by John Kerry, his CCP counterpart, Xi Jinping, and others. So what is this all about? Why would John Kerry do that? You can book it that, number one, his private jet that he'll fly over on will be paid for, and number two, he will get a massive financial award because he is considered to be now that Al Gore's gone. John Kerry is the number one political climatologist on the planet, and whatever he says about climate, about climate change, that's the way it is. You can't credibly deny that. One more story before we take a break. I think we're zooming along pretty well. I want to get you tuned in, plugged in to all these stories before we leave today. You remember Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried? Sam Bankman-Fried. He's the guy that owned the uh, the big cryptocurrency exchange. 
and he stole billions of dollars from people that gave their cryptocurrency to his exchange for them to monitor it and grow it and take care of it, and they didn't. He took it and spent it. Well, he's waiting for a court case, and it's not going to be pretty for him when it happens. But it came out yesterday that Sam's father is an advisor to top liberal dark money network Arabella advisors. Now, what does this mean? Apparently, his dad sat on the advisory board of the largest left-wing dark money network in the U.S. His father, Stanford Law School professor Joseph Bankman, accused alongside his wife, Stanford Law School professor Barbara Freed, in a Monday complaint by their son's bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX and accused of unlawfully siphoning off millions of dollars in firm funds to benefit their pet causes and themselves, by the way. Bankman, whom FTX say helped the company navigate tax issues, said at one point he considered having funds made available by Sam through Arabella. That's according to documents filed in the court. This meant that Bankman had unfettered access to the FTX group's financials and corporate structure. Two things that would have alerted him that money was moving between and among the FTX exchanges, FTX insiders, and other legal entities. This is from the lawsuit, referring to Sam Bankman-Fried's father. The revelation of this advisory wall was in a footnote on page 19 of the lawsuit. Washington Examiner reached out to Arabella Advisors, a lawyer for FTX, and Bankman for comments. Arabella, that is a for-profit consulting firm, manages major liberal nonprofit groups that in turn sponsor entities that don't have to file tax forms with the IRS. That's a convenient, nice little way to cover up money that you don't have to report in the form of campaign contributions. The companies faced heightened criticism from conservatives over this dark money arrangement, as well as opened itself up to accusations of hypocrisy since top Democrat politicians, including Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, we busted day before yesterday on this show because he's in dark money and he's the one that rants all the time about alleged ills of so-called dark money that in his words when he pontificates during committee hearings on the Senate floor, he gripes and hollers about Republicans and their dark money support. GOP members have long held that dark money is a term for speech that Democrats don't like and believe money in elections is a representation of speech. The court filing this particular one specifically referred to the New Venture Fund, a charity managed by Arabella Advisors. It indicated that the fund offered a platform through which FTXUS and its donors could contribute to select charitable causes. That all sounds benign. It just sounds cool. Look, they're taking care of business. Well, let me ask you this. If they didn't want to launder money, why would they need to have Arabella advisors be the go-between, which is exactly what they were. They're laundering money. That's exactly what's going on, but it's not quite 
in the same fashion. So they're flying just above the law, staying just out of the crosshairs of being busted for violating campaign laws. But then who crafts those laws? Oh, I forgot. The members of the United States House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. They make the own laws that governs them, and they determine what terms are placed in these laws when they write them and get them passed and sent to the White House to whatever president's there, who is going to sign it always because it has to do with helping campaign dollars show up that nobody can trace. Mr. Rippermorph. Yes, Dorothy. A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7? Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Ripamoff? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Waste Busters. News Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. We're in a, a society right now where very, very large number of people, they know there's bad stuff going on and they're so convinced of it, they're scared to death and they don't want to know what it is. They don't want to know who's responsible because they feel like there's nothing they can do about it. So why worry? And they're being taught that. And our kids are being taught that process. I'm serious. That should scare us all to death. Let me tell you something else that should really bother you. Did you know that Monday, this past Monday, our national debt reached $33 trillion for the first time? The Treasury Department said the national debt hit $33.04 trillion Monday afternoon, several months after the U.S. hit the debt ceiling in June, and Congress passed a bill suspending the ceiling 
until 2025. Lawmakers are currently attempting to stop a government shutdown at the end of this month as our debt continues to go up. Maya McGuinness said this, the United States has hit a new milestone that no one will be proud of. Our gross national debt just surpassed $33 trillion. She's the president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Debt held by the public, meanwhile, recently surpassed $26 trillion. Now think about that. Our total debt's $33 trillion. Debt that is owned by the public passed $26 trillion. So where's that other $7 trillion in there? Most of it is owned by various governments around the, the world that invest in our government by buying treasury bonds. And a bunch of the other stuff is sold to companies that manage 401k, simple IRAs, and other types of retirement funds. Think about that. You got money invested in a 401k, a simple IRA, or in a company, a corporation retirement fund? You own part of this debt yourself. We are becoming numb to these huge numbers, but it doesn't make them any less dangerous. Our debt, if you've fallen the track of how quick it happens going up, more than $5 trillion has increased. More than $5 trillion in two years since Biden was inaugurated. More than $2.48 trillion increase that occurred when Donald Trump was in office in other words, Joe's already spent $5 trillion in debt increased in two years, $2.5 trillion for Donald Trump. Nobody's proud about either number, but it is bad and it's getting worse right now. There is no end in sight. So how does it compare to the past? Let me give you the numbers. This will blow your mind. 1930, our debt was $16 billion. 1940, 43 billion. Now remember between 40 and 50, we had World War II. So our debt, national debt, went from 43 billion to 257 billion in that decade, 1940 to 1950. 257 billion at the end of 1950. 1960, in that decade, it only went up just a little bit under. 10 billion. It went to 286 billion. By 1970, 371 billion. 1980, 908 billion. 1990, 3.2 trillion. 2000, 5.6 trillion. 2010, 13 and a half trillion. 2023, hang on just a second. 2023, $33 trillion. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. That's a lot of dough. And we can't pay the bill. That's just the way it rolls. So what can we do about it? Well, one thing, really the only thing we can do is stop spending more than we bring in. We need to do that to the tune of at least a trillion dollars a year. Why? Because that's what our debt is that we pay. That's what we have to pay. The interest on our debt one time a year 
and it's already $1 trillion. So we need to reduce our spending by $1 trillion at least so we can pay the debt and begin to pay things off. This is just crazy to even think about. Rand Paul, he's considered to be to be probably the biggest spending hawk that's out there. He announced yesterday he's not going to pass any short-term spending package to try to fund the government that includes additional money for the Ukrainian war effort. And he said that we're just 10 days away before the federal government is set to shut down if we don't get a deal reached to increase the spending limit. Congressional leaders were told are working towards a deal to pass a CR, continuing resolution, to keep the government funded past the last day of this month. But there's a debate about whether this resolution will include the additional $24 billion in aid for Ukraine that Joe Biden is requesting. Senator Paul wrote an op-ed and spoke about the issue on the Senate floor, declaring the government should not be held hostage for Ukraine funding. Today, I'm putting congressional leaderships and the president on notice that I will oppose any effort to hold the federal government hostage for Ukraine funding. I will not consent to expedited passage of any spending measure that provides any more USAID cash or equipment to Ukraine. The $113 billion in Ukraine aid sent so far averages to $6.8 billion per month, or $223 million each day. Think about that. We're spending $6.8 billion each month for Ukraine. We're spending $223 million every day for Ukraine. He is opposed, is Senator Paul, to taxpayer funding another endless quagmire and called attempts to include the aid in the continuing resolution, a clear dereliction of duty. He said, corruption runs deep in Ukraine. We've given you example after example, proof after proof, that there is massive financial economic corruption in Ukraine, and it involves a lot of Americans, not just the Biden family syndicate. Ukraine's Ministry of Defense fired six of its deputy defense ministers for corruption concerns this week. This comes two weeks after the firing of Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov, who was removed after it was discovered that the Ministry of Defense had mishandled military contracts. It's all part of that scripture that we quote here often, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil, but the love of money is. Now, there's some other news out there, important news. I think, I think we need to hear about a lot of it. I really do. I think we get caught away, get carried away with the, um, I guess, the nastiest of stuff when we do these reports. But when we do that sometimes and often, we leave some things out. One thing I want to mention is what's happening in the U.S. Senate. Everybody knows who John Fetterman is. He's that massive guy that was elected to the U.S. Senate out of uh, Pennsylvania last year. 
and he spent time in a mental hospital afterwards. He looks like Lurch from the Adams Family. You remember that old series had the monsters there? He's massive. I think he's about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Our son is 6'9", so I have a comparison there. But he, my friends, is a really strange guy. He wears, he likes to wear shorts. He likes to wear hoodies. And his doing so is a, 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 a gross violation of the requirements for clothing in the Senate chamber. So one would think that Mr. Fetterman, knowing all of this, running for the U.S. Senate, knew when he got elected he probably needed to go buy some dress clothes to wear on the floor of the Senate because that's where he works. Nope, you know what he did? He got after old Chucky Schumer, and they have dumbed down the required attire in the U.S. Senate. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's decision to relax the Senate dress code to accommodate John Fetterman drawing a lot of reaction. The Washington Post has come out against it. The editorial board says a, quote, casual new dress code does not suit the U.S. Senate, end quote. Fetterman's not a suit guy. He likes hoodies. He likes his shorts. He likes his track shoes. That means he had uh, to vote with one foot in the Senate cloakroom. That, however, is not the case. And it's not just the Washington Post. 47 Republicans yesterday signed the letter and sent it to Chuck Schumer and said, this is not good and they don't want it to stand. They don't want it. Yeah. No. Americans want etiquette and manners, and they expect more in their elected leaders. And Jim Garrity writes a piece a day where he asks a question, does he even really want to be a senator? Mm. Because, <laughs> you know, there are other yep. things you could be doing. Yeah, there could be. I mean, it's not a big deal to need to dress appropriately to go to work. I think everybody has to do that. I know you like to work from home. Many of you have. Many of you still are. As a matter of fact, I'm in a home studio right now producing and distributing this program every day. I get that. But it's a little more public to serve the nation and the people of the nation. And you're out and about all the time. You need to look like somebody that is respectful and that you really care about representing the best of the United States of America everywhere you go. I mean, I don't want to be a politician, but I can tell you this, if I ran for in office, I would just automatically feel confident knowing, and I'd be okay with it, that I'm going to have to dress appropriately. And there's nothing wrong with that. This dumbing down of everything to just get people to think that you really give a rip about them, it's just getting out of hand. There is real serious stuff going on, far more serious than the clothing requirements for the floor of the U.S. Senate. What else could be going on? Well, listen to this. You think we're the only place on the planet that has illegal immigration problems? Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney called on the European Union yesterday to create a naval blockade in the Mediterranean Sea aimed at blocking the flow of illegals, arguing the future of Europe is at stake. What is at stake in the future of Europe? Because the future of Europe depends on its capacity to deal with the huge challenges of our time, Maloney told reporters over the weekend. 
The Prime Minister's comments came after European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen weekend visit to Lampedusa, a small Italian island that has become one of the hotspots of Europe's migrant crisis. More than 10,000 migrants arrived at the island just north of Africa last week. That's according to a report far surpassing the permanent population of just 6,000. Maloney argued the only serious way for Europe to get a grip on the crisis is for a blockade, stopping the migrants from being able to depart North Africa countries on boats that are bound for Europe. Now, they're griping about 10,000. Come on now, we're having 10,000 in the morning come across our southern border. According to numbers compiled by The Telegraph, 126,000 migrants have entered Italy since the start of the year, nearly double the number that arrived in the country during the same time last year. That number is on pace to break Italy's 2016 record when 160,000 migrants entered the country. Maloney's made stopping the flow of migration a cornerstone of her promises, a vow that the prime minister has so far had difficulty fulfilling. Niall Gardner, who's director of the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom, said that Maloney has found herself in a very difficult position when it comes to the crisis, arguing that most of Europe has been weak on the issue and lacks the resolve to tackle the problem. The scale of the crisis is massive. Maloney is one of the toughest leaders in Europe on illegal migration, but she is finding herself overwhelmed by the sheer scale of the crisis, and it's only going to get worse. That's Gardner speaking. Maloney, the prime minister, seemingly found a sympathetic ear in von der Leyen, who pledged that irregular migrants would be returned and there would be a crackdown on the brutal migrant smuggling business. Why don't we do any of that? Why don't we crack down on any of those that are doing the same thing over there? I thought I would never, ever think this, let alone say it. Why don't we ask them how we should be doing it? Ask Italy, the Prime Minister of Italy. We may mention that to Joe. He could fly over for the weekend. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is the United States of America, used to be, might still be, we don't know, the greatest country in world history. So all of the backlog of those promotions in the U.S. military have been held up for months by one U.S. senator, and of course that would be GOP Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. He has held it up simply for one reason. He does not want the U.S. taxpayers to be paying for any part of abortion. And in fact, the military are doing that. And now that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, they turned all of the abortion law back to the individual states. So the military obviously has a presence in all 50 of our states. Military leaders at the Pentagon, they've decided they're going to pay for transportation for any military member that needs to get an abortion and it has to go out of state to get it. Well, Tubb says, nope, we're not going to pay for that. And I'm going to hold up, I'm going to hold up 
the nominations for all these promotions and those that are wanting to be confirmed to get a job and move up until the military takes that policy out of place. Well, yesterday, they kind of skirted it in the Senate. They confirmed the nomination of Air Force General C.Q. Brown to chief as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Senate voted 83 to 11 to confirm him to the post. Brown's nomination advanced through a procedural vote 89 to 8 earlier Wednesday. The final Senate vote means Brown is going to succeed outgoing Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley. So this this development follows Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's scheduling votes on Brown's nomination, as well as two other key military nominees, to go around that hold from Alabama GOP Senator Tommy Tuberville. For more than six months now, Tub has stalled military nominations by refusing to grant unanimous consent for the blanket approval of Pentagon nominees in batches, which is conventional, but... They could have passed every one of these using regular order, but Schumer didn't want to do it. He didn't want to spend the time. He decided that he just wanted to put them all up for nomination on the floor, and with one vote, one vote, the Senate confirms all these people without even talking to or knowing anything about these individual nominees for advancement. I agree with what he did. His whole stems from an objection to the Pentagon's policy of paid leave to military service members to get abortions, which it adopted following the Dobbs v. Jackson decision by SCOTUS last year. Another big, big dollar and cent happening in our political system. And I want to point this out. This just, every time I hear this kind of stuff, it alarms me. A Democrat mega donor is funding a large campaign, doing it to hamstring the American petrochemical manufacturing industry. This is according to the New York Times. Former New York City mayor and failed 2020 presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg spent tens of millions of dollars on Bloomberg philanthropies beyond petrochemicals campaign. Did so to block the construction of 120 petrochemical projects in the United States. The campaign aligns with Bloomberg's previous extensive financial support of environmentalist groups and causes, beneficiaries of which include the Sierra Club, Earth Justice, the League of Conservative Voters, and numerous other left-of-center organizations. If what they're doing is going to kill everyone, I don't care how valuable what they do is, Bloomberg said. If there's something that can destroy the earth and kill all living people, then it's hard to argue you shouldn't focus on that. Bloomberg gave the Democrat National Committee 18 million bucks. 18 million bucks. That was back in 2022 to help Joe Biden win that year's race. Has long been a leading donor to Democrats on the national level. That's according to the Washington Post. The campaign to which Bloomberg committed $85 million last year will seek to block 120 uh, plants, most of which are to be located in Texas, here in our state of Louisiana, 
Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. That's according to the New York Times. Use that money. I told you a little bit about this um, debacle that our president had yesterday. Joe Biden stumbled into Brazil's flag, shuffling off the U.N. stage, leaving the world leader hanging for a handshake. He once more brought his competency into question during that joint speech. The leaders were there to address the improvement of workers' rights in their respective countries. So after Biden bumbled into the seven-foot Brazilian flag when walking on stage, he made a clownish show of joggling the podium. The cringy recovery was just the beginning of yet another disastrous public display by the president. He gave a labored, rambling speech about his economic vision to rebuild our economy from the middle out, the bottom up. We talked about this earlier in this show. The two largest democracies in the Western Hemisphere standing up for human rights around the world and the hemisphere. That includes workers' rights, Biden complained. Let me be clear, he said. Whether it's the auto workers union or any other union worker, record corporate profits should mean contracts, record numbers for union workers. And that, my friends, is the way Joe Biden rolls. One more thing. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has deployed his National Guard, and guess what they're going to the southern border for? They're going to reinstall the razor wire, making that razor wall in the middle of the Rio Grande River because Joe Biden had a cut. Because the Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing about the border, Abbott had floated barriers containing razor wire installed along the Rio Grande. In response, the administration demanded he take them down. DOJ sued Texas for it. They cut them down. The government did. And Greg Abbott is going to replace them. What do you think is going to happen down there? Do you think we're ever going to get to the bottom of this mess? I honestly don't know what to say. I would hope we would, but I would have hoped we would have stopped this mess years ago. I thought Donald Trump and what he did, all the things he did, getting the wall, a huge portion of the wall constructed, and just stopping with the Remain in Mexico stuff, I thought that was going to be sufficient. Oh yeah, by the way, I thought they'd start enforcing immigration laws. What a fool I was. Wow. Well, a contentious show with a lot of things that we educated ourselves with today. Thanks for being here. We're going to be back tomorrow. Do not forget, 9 o'clock hour, Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson joins us, and we're going to throw a bunch of questions at him. Knowing him, he's going to answer them all. Join us then. Have a great one.